Our family had a distant cousin down in Florida and uh, worked for uh, Whirlpool. I think they made, uh, uh, what, what is it, uh, washers and dryers, all that good stuff. Anyway, he worked there his whole life, and so we would we would go down to Florida and see the family in that area, and uh, had just a beautiful home, beautiful pool. And so, I, I mean, I didn't really know what he did at Whirlpool. It must have been doing all right, I guess. And so his whole career he worked there until he retired, and then then after he retired, he explained to us that he had, he had never worked at Whirlpool, that he was a security agent for a government defense contractor in Florida. He spent his whole life on, on like a SWAT team detail protecting this, uh, this area, and he wasn't allowed to tell anybody except his wife. She was the only person that actually knew what he did for a living. But once he was retired and completely out of there, he was, he was free to talk about it. And so it's fascinating to think that you can know somebody your whole life and never really have a clue what they're doing. I think there's a lot of people like that in church, though, don't you think? For a lot less noble reasons, they're, they're living a, a private life, secret life. They come to church and uh, put on a face, pretend to be something. They go to work, pretend to be something. Sometimes even when they're with their spouse, they pretend to be something that they're not. And some people can be really good at it. It can be really effective for a long time at fooling so many people. But the problem is that no matter how many people we fool, God always knows the truth about us this was the case with David 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 was a great man in fact the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart and David did so many great things but David also had some major failures in his life and this is the passage we're looking at today is the second Samuel chapter 11 it's a story of a time in David's life the greatest greatest failure in his life no doubt when David committed adultery and then eventually went on to murder somebody to try to cover it up Worst moment of David's life. And the thing that we see about David's life is as much as he tried to hide his sin, your sin will always find you out. In fact, that's what the Lord told the nation of Israel. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. The second part of that verse, here's what it said. And be sure your sin will find you out. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Be sure that your sin will find you out. See, as much as we might be effective in fooling other people, we can never fool God. He always knows the truth about us. And so the answer to our sin is not to hide it or cover it up or try to deceive people. But the answer about our sin is to confess it to God and change and start living a different life. Uh, I've been pastor for about two and a half decades now. And just that, that little time that I've been around people, I've come to a few conclusions. And one of them is I think that the average person totally underestimates the destructive force of sin in their life. I think the average person thinks that, well, you know, if nobody gets murdered or anything like that, I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. Sin, sin's, a, sin's a small thing. But sin is never a small thing, and sin always has consequences. And sin will destroy your life. And the problem is that sometimes it destroys us so gradually that we don't have it, see it coming until it's too late. And sin, I mean, the reason that we sin is because it's so enjoyable. And sin is truly enjoyable. In fact, the Bible says it's enjoyable. The Bible says that there's pleasure in sin. For a season. The problem with seeing though is it, it, it's like jumping off a tall building. I mean, there's the wind through your hair. There's a beautiful view. I mean, it's great. It's a rush all the way down. It's, the, it's that sudden stop at the bottom. And most people aren't willing to deal with their sin because they don't believe there is a sudden stop at the bottom. They think that the ride is going to go on for forever. And we look at David and we see what happened to him. David suffered because of his sin for the rest of his life. 
David's sin, the consequences of it, would forever change the way that he lived. And so 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, I want to ask you, would you just join me in standing as we read this together? The Bible says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as my soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening when he went to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there would be valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot down from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back into the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another, 
Strengthen your attack and o- against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore a son. Listen to this. Probably the most significant verse in all this passage. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray if there be anything in our life that displeases you, Lord, we would confess it before you as sin and receive your forgiveness. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, sin, sin is a downward spiral. One thing leads to another. It's just like being a liar. If you're going to be a liar, you've got to have an incredible memory because once you tell a lie, then you've got to tell another lie to cover that one up and you've got to remember your story. And sin works this way. One sin leads to another. David went up on the roof of his house and he looked down from the king's palace. He's probably much taller than everyone else's houses. Bathsheba was most likely in a place that was private to anyone else, but from the, from the top of the palace, he can see down where she is bathing, and he sees her, and in that moment, he begins to lust. And lust leads to adultery. Then adultery leads to all the lying and deceitfulness, which then eventually leads to murder. This is how sin works. It's a, it's a downward spiral. One thing leads to the next thing. And so many people will look at something and say, well, you know, Pastor, it's really not really not a big deal but the problem is that sin leads to another sin that leads to another sin that leads to another sin and as long as we stay in a state of unconfessed sin the easier it is to stay in that state and the father that sin is able to take us we see in like david's life there's many things we can learn from him We, we we certainly we don't want to do what david did but in the beginning but we want to do what david did in the end we want to confess our sin and repent it repent of it the Bible says here in verse 1 that we just read, it says in the spring of the year, I want you to notice how it describes this, the time when kings go out to battle. In the last part of that verse it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. Well, the Bible's not just simply telling us where David is, but the Bible is telling us about how David got himself in this mess. Now, David is at a time in his life, he's at the height of his career. David has uh, secured the throne, he's moved the capital to Jerusalem, he's there in the palace, and uh, Ammon is over on the other side of the Jordan River, and so they're, so they're all fought, fighting in another area. But instead of going out to war with everyone else, David stays at home. The entire army of Israel is out fighting, and David's not there to lead. David's not even there to supervise. David is just there at home. And one night he goes up on the roof of the palace. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about what David was thinking. I don't know if David's purpose in going up on the roof at night was he was hoping he might see somebody or if he just simply went up there and stumbled upon Bathsheba. I don't know if he was looking or if he just simply came upon her by accident. But when he does, he sees her and then he begins to lust after her. Now what David did when he went up on that roof is he, and being home is he created an opportunity for himself. Now if you want to avoid sin, the first thing we want to do is not create opportunities for temptation do you know the bible tells us when satan was tempting jesus this is luke chapter 4 verse 13 this is this is just after satan had finished tempting jesus in the wilderness here's what it says 
And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Listen to this. Gives us insight into how the devil works. Until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. Satan was looking for an opportune moment when he thought he might be able to get Jesus to sin. And you see, this is how Satan works in our life. He doesn't come to us in our strongest. He comes to us at opportune times. And so you and I, the first thing that we need to do if we want to conquer sin and we want to not give any temptation is we don't want to create any opportune moments. And when David goes up on the roof and he sees Bathsheba, Oh, if David had just went back down to the palace at that moment and prayed to God, asked God to give him strength, then, friend, David's life would have been completely different. But he didn't. David started that downward spiral of lust that led to adultery, that led to deceit, that led to murder. You see, the problem with sin, if you flirt with temptation, you're, you're, just, you're setting yourself up for failure. Satan knows your weaknesses. And if you try to fight against temptation, it won't be very long before you know your weaknesses as well. And God has made us all different. And the sinful nature has manifested itself in a different way in all of us. We all have different weaknesses. And when when you become to know yourself, then you need to understand what it is that you need to stay away from and where it is that you don't need to be. You know, when I go in a, a restaurant, and we've got restaurants here in town that I like, and they serve alcohol, and that doesn't bother me in the least bit. I go over there, I order whatever food I want. I get tea or water or coffee or whatever I want. It doesn't bother me in the least bit to be there. But friend, if you're a recovering alcoholic, you have no business being there. You just don't need to put yourself in a place where you're going to create an opportunity for the devil. Every one of us has weaknesses. And David went up on that roof. He saw her bathing. But instead of going and praying to God to give him strength, he lusted after her and he brought her to the palace and he committed adultery with her. The Bible says here in verse 2, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of the king's house and he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of a lion? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, when he heard that this was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, that should have been the end of it for David. But instead, he sent for her and he brought her to the house. Well, what happens to David is that he begins this downward spiral. She comes, he commits adultery with her, he sends her back, and then she sends word that she is pregnant. Probably not at all what David ever intended. Most likely, based on David's further actions, most likely David just intended to have a one-night stand with her and send her back and, and never see her again, or at least not see her openly. Because when he finds this out, he brings Uriah home from the battlefield. And he begins this elaborate scheme to try to cover up his sin and hide what he has done. And so he decides, well, I'll just bring Uriah home. I mean, he's been off uh, uh, days and days journey away on the other side of the Jordan fighting. He's I don't know how long they've been gone at this point, but he's been gone for a long time. I'll bring Uriah home. He'll go home, but you know what's going to happen when he comes home. He's going to sleep with his wife. We'll send him back. In about a month, I'm going to send word and say, congratulations, Uriah is expecting a child. Joe, I've sent Uriah home so he can be with Bathsheba. And Uriah would come home, and he would think he was having a child, and, and everything would just be great, and it would just all be covered up. But the problem with that is that Uriah 
Uriah is a much more godly man than David. And so when David brings Uriah home, verse 11, Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, that is, tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So here's a man of honor and integrity. And he's, he recognizes that, that everybody's out sleeping in the open field in the battle. And he just can't bring himself to dishonor them by enjoying comfort at home while they're out on the battlefield. And so he says, I'm not going to do it. So David comes up with plan B. So he decides he'll get Uriah drunk. So the Bible says that he invited him. And then the Bible doesn't say that Uriah got drunk. Do you notice what it said when we read it earlier? It says he made him drunk. It was David that's pushing this alcohol on Joab. And he's thinking, or on Uriah, and he's thinking, I'm going to get him drunk. And then he'll go home. And then my plan will work. And even in a drunken state, Uriah never leaves the palace. He goes out and lays on the couch and sleeps there the night. And here's what happens to David. You see, David becomes so committed to covering up his sin that now after being an adulterer and trying to lie and deceive everyone about it, David becomes so cold-hearted and calculating that he actually hands Uriah his death sentence to carry back to Joab. Could you imagine such a thing? The Bible says that, that he wrote this letter in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, notice this, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. David sat down. And he wrote a letter to Joab telling Joab to make sure Uriah died in battle. He seals it. And then he looks Uriah in the eye after having slept with his wife, hands him his own death sentence, and says, carry this to Joab. Could you do that? I think most of us today would say, no, Pastor, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Don't fool yourself. You see, David started off with just lust. That's where he started. He looked and he saw somebody he wanted. That's where it all started. And then he brought her to the palace. And that led to adultery. And then after he committed adultery, he sent her back home. And he tried to figure out how to cover it up. And he brought Uriah home so he could reunite her and cover up his sin. And finally then when that didn't work, then he, resort, he resorted to murder. You see, this is how sin works. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Sin is a downward spiral. No matter how small we may think a sin is, sin is always self-destructive. And one sin leads to a next. And there's only one way to end the downward spiral. That's to stop and confess before God. And so David, David looks Uriah in the eye. He hands him his own death sentence, and he sends him back to Joab with this letter. Well, the problem with this is that you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can never, ever fool the Lord. He knows everything that we've done. He knows every reason that we did it. 
He knows every thought we had before, during, and after. He knows our motive and our intent. He knows everything. And so you may fool the church, you may fool the community, you may fool your own family. Everybody may think you're just a wonderful, upstanding person, but God knows the truth about every single one of us. And so in verse 27 it says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, God simply will not ignore our sin. And so the Lord sends somebody to David, the prophet named Nathan. Listen to what the Bible says in chapter 12, verse 1. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of its morsel and drink from its cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And listen to how David responded. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. It's hard to, it's hard to believe that David, after all he had just done, could not see through Nathan's story. I mean, is it not clear right on the surface that Nathan is talking about David? But you see, pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, any of these things or any combination of can blind us even to our own sin. So when Nathan the prophet comes to David to confront him, David doesn't even recognize that the story is about him. And maybe you're here today. And you've convinced yourself that you don't have any need to confess anything. You don't have any need to repent of anything. You're just a really good person. I've got some different friends and family members that do so many things in direct violation of everything God has called us to do. But in their own minds, they are just really good friend God knows the truth about each and every one of us and we don't ever want to get to the place where David was where we can't even recognize and see our own sin David hears this story about a man who took a lamb from a neighbor and David is so upset about, a, about an animal after he's taken a man's wife and murdered him to cover it up and David David the Bible says his anger was greatly kindled against the man. And after he says, this, the, the, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Here's what Nathan says. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, we always see kings and prophets in pairs. Uh, there, was, there was always multiple prophets and, and young men who were trained to be prophets and growing up, but but it always seems that with every king, there's one prophet who's preeminent, that God calls that prophet to, to really speak to that king. And in David's day, it was Nathan. Nathan. 
And I, I just know, uh, I'm no prophet, but I just know from just, just simply being the pastor that when I walk in the room, most of the time conversations change and things change. And I suspect that when Nathan walked in to see David, well, David, David was concerned about what Nathan thought of him. And here Nathan is, and Nathan tells his story, and, and David, with all the self-righteousness he can muster, he says, this man deserves to die. And then David is publicly humiliated when Nathan says to him, you are the man. This is how sin works. We may think that we've completely covered it up and we've committed the perfect crime, but our sin will always find us out. And even after we confess our sin, it still has consequences. Notice what Nathan says to David. He says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You, you notice what he said, how he frames this? You see, whenever we sin against God, we despise the word of the Lord. He said, you've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confesses his sin. Notice what Nathan says. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. But listen to this. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. You see, David received forgiveness from God, but he still dealt with the consequences. This is how sin works. I got a great friend who's an evangelist, and we've been friends for a long time. He's just had a wonderful ministry. He's led hundreds and hundreds of people to faith in Christ. But he was saved in the middle of his college years. And before being saved, he was, he was partying. He was doing all kinds of different hard drugs. And then he got invited to go on a church retreat, and he was saved during that retreat. Just a couple years ago, before I left Georgia, we were talking one day, and he was telling about all the health problems he has. He said, Kevin, he said, I, he said now this has been 20 years. He hadn't touched drugs or alcohol or anything in 20 years. He said, Kevin, he said, I, still, I still have to go to the doctors very regularly. He didn't go into a lot of details, but he said, he said, from all the stuff that I put in my body, he said, I'm still suffering from it to this day. But friend, God forgave him, and God used him, but he still has to live with the consequences of his sin. 
You see, that's why it's so important that we don't ever abuse grace and think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. God will forgive me because sin is so self-destructive. And the answer for us is to stop and confess it as soon as we can before we get any deeper in it. You know, the Bible tells us that David's son does die. And after he dies, he makes Bathsheba's wife, and they have another son. Verse 24 of chapter 12, listen to what it says. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And listen to this. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Well, if you know the story, Solomon went on to be the king of Israel. Solomon went on to build the temple. And he has a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Even in the darkest moment of David's life, when he committed adultery, murder, God went on to use him and to bless him after he repented and confessed his sin. And folks, I, I don't know what you've done today. There's a good chance that, that, that probably none of us have done what David did. But I want you to understand this. None of us, none of us are beyond the grace of God. Today, if you were to confess your sin to God, he would forgive you and he would restore you. You say, well, that's the case. If I, just, well, I just wait a little longer. The longer you wait, the deeper that spiral will take you. The darker your life will become. And the more terrible the lifelong consequences of your sin can be. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves today. And Lord, I pray if there's any person here that's never been saved, I pray this morning that they'll walk this aisle and cry out to you in prayer and be forgiven. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves, to confess our sin, so that you might forgive us and bless us and use us. Lord, we just invite you right now to move within this congregation in your spirit. Father, help us to learn from David's repentance and to avoid David's mistakes. Lord, I pray that we might live a life that would be pleasing to you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. You know, just this morning, I preached the same message at 8.30. When I finished preaching, there was a young man, probably about mid-20s, his name's Daniel. He came walking down from this side over here, walked all the way down the front. I, I didn't know him. I didn't know what he wanted. Didn't know why he was coming. But he came up to me this morning, and he said, Pastor, he said, he said, I never believed, but today I believe. And right here, we prayed, received Christ. Next Sunday morning, he's going to get baptized. It's, yeah, that's, you can celebrate that. We celebrated in the first service. It's great. I think this is about his third time we've seen him here. Maybe there's somebody else like that here today. You never believed, but today you believe. Maybe you believe, but there's some sin in your life that you think you've got perfectly covered up. You may have us all fooled that God knows the truth. The only answer for our sin is to confess it to him. 
You know what James says about the Bible? He says the Bible's like a mirror. When we read it, we see ourselves. David heard that story about the sheep and the visitor, and he didn't understand that the story was about him. See, friend, the story of David and Bathsheba, it's not about David and Bathsheba. It's about me, and it's about you. God is speaking to us about the consequences of sin, and he's calling us to repentance. And I'd urge you to find your place in that story. Because we all need to get to the end where David confesses his sin, repents of it, and receives forgiveness. So, listen. There is no reason that every single person, no matter how we came in today, there's no reason why we can't leave here today at peace with God. He's made everything possible. And he invites you. But it's up to you. So we're going to sing a song. And the purpose of this song is to give you time to respond to God. Maybe that response needs to just be a prayer where you are. Or maybe it's something public that you need to do. But whatever you need to do right now, let's do it as we sing. Let's stand.